This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to talk Mariners baseball. Holy smokes! With spring training just around the corner, we are geared up for baseball. This is at the wall, and it is gone into the bullpen for a two-run homer. Some serious hang time from Nelson Cruz. It's the hot stove. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Sports app. And from Peoria, Arizona, welcome to our very first edition of the Cactus League Report. From spring training 2018, the Mariners are getting ready for a brand new campaign. Hi again, everybody. I'm Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer. Producer-engineer Gary Hill. We've got a full two hours of Mariners talk. Spring training getting underway. Pitchers and catchers reporting back on February the 14th. The entire squad five days later. Here it is now just a couple of days away from our first Cactus League game of the uh, season where the Mariners take on the San Diego Padres right here from the Peoria Sports Complex. And that's where we're broadcasting tonight from. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to visit with Scott Service, Mariner Skipper, in the first hour. We'll have two segments with Scott. We'll also visit with new Mariners center fielder, D. Gordon, an all-star, gold-glove second baseman, traded away, acquired by Jerry DePoto from the Miami Marlins back in December. And he's going to be out there playing center field. Visit with D. Gordon. And then in the second hour, we're going to visit with uh, Mariner catcher Mike Zunino. I don't think there's a player that has more on their plate than a catcher at spring training, catching all the different pitchers in camp, the starters, the relievers, getting to know everybody. Mike Zunino was busier than anybody last year with 40 different pitchers. We'll also visit with Anthony Castrovince from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. So welcome to Peoria, Arizona, everybody. We have a heck of a show for you. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer. And, uh, Shannon, it's great to see the guys on the field. Today was photo day. So the guys had their photos for uh, different media pur- uh, purposes, and a lot of television stations were down here as well. The guys were busy today. They were busy. It's one of those things that they like to get out of the way uh, for spring training. But if you ever wonder, you know, where do all the baseball card pictures come from? Where do all the yes. uh, you know, publicity pictures that you see around town or up in the stadium, where do they come from? That's They take care of that down here. So the guys had on their, their home whites as they were kind of prated be t- before green screens and, and did a number of different things. But uh, that's out of the way now. And, you know, that kind of time is, is pretty important right now down here because it is a shorter amount of time between reporting and when the games begin we are just two days away from games right now but uh that it was out of the way and uh you'll you'll see the results of that as the season goes on exactly and gary hill that's what i really liked watching today was tops the baseball card company was down here today as a kid i started collecting cards back in 19 whatever year that was 1959 i was six years old and it was great to see the guys you know pitchers in their pose and a wind-up and Kyle Seeger swinging the bat. And it just reminded me of all those baseball cards, the thousands of cards that uh, I collected. Remember, for a nickel, you had five cards in that 
Delicious I don't remember that. Sweet cup. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. I'm a little older than you are. But, oh, the smell of that stale pink bubble gum inside those uh, five, uh, a pack of five cards. But to see that brought back a lot of great memories because that's going to show up as a baseball card. I was always surprised I didn't chip more teeth on that, that gum, but I never did. I, I loved collecting baseball cards growing up. It was the absolute best. I am so with you on that, seeing the poses and everything else. That's so great. Yeah. It brings me back. It really does. So today, busy day for the players, getting on the field, taking batting practice, and getting ready for the spring. And, Shannon, it's going to be an interesting spring because of the timing of things. We're going to have 16 night games during the course of the Cactus League game uh, season. 12? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, 12. Lots. And it's, uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I like to get up early, but uh, I'm going to be able to sleep sleep in a few days. Yeah, it's going to be an adjustment. Uh, and it, there, it's not just the games, but they're starting their workouts a lot later. It's really strange to, you know, some of the early workouts, they're starting the workout just about when they would be leaving in years past. There used to be, I'm sure Scott Service will get into this a little bit, but a real theory that, uh, you know, you get there, there very early and you put the coffee on and you sit around and, and you're a hero because you're there at 6.30 in the morning, even though. So they're not doing anything until 8.30, and they really don't want that anymore. It's There's a big focus on rest and recovery, and they think that that is important, not just through spring training, but throughout the entire year. It starts here, and I, I think that in a large part, they're trying to get spring to mimic as much as they possibly can the regular the season, which only makes sense. I, I think we've all felt it a little bit. You go from spring training where you're at the complex. I know your interview is always very early with the skipper, Rick, yeah. um, at the complex 7 30 8 in the morning and you're playing your games and then you're home by five and asleep probably by nine and then all of a sudden just you flip the switch it's game time regular season and you're not getting home until after midnight your games aren't ending until 10 10 30 and, and whatnot so I, I think kind of in an effort to not have to go through that adjustment they're making that adjustment down here and most of the night games will be kind of in that second half of spring training as you kind of build up to it right. toward the regular season. And the regular season gets underway early this year, March the 29th, out at Safeco Field when the Mariners open up against the uh, Cleveland Indians. And, and, Gary, there's always great stories uh, during the course of the spring. And I walked into the clubhouse for the first time. We got in yesterday afternoon, walked in for the clubhouse, into the clubhouse for the first time, a lot of new faces. And I was asking Pete Fortune and the guys in the clubhouse, who's this guy, who's that guy? And, and uh, there's always a great story along the way. That's the best part, right? I mean, you never know who is going to jump off the page, who's going to make a name for themselves, and, and maybe not necessarily make the team uh, first day, but someone we may see down the road during the course of the season. I mean, who's going to make a big impact when this team really needs it during the course of the year? And We find out some of those names during the course of this spring training. I love that part as well. And it's great, obviously, to see the familiar faces on this ball club. Robbie Cano. Back for his fifth season with the club. And, of course, Nelson Cruz, who led the American League and runs batted in last year with 119. And King Felix, Felix Hernandez, James Paxton, what a year for him. Of course, the storyline this year will be health. And and right off the bat, a couple of injuries to uh, really some key players early in the spring. They are, and you hate to see that, but I think there's a kind of reason for optimism with both of them. Ryan Healy only supposed to be down four to six weeks, and not just down. They say he should be game ready 
by the end of that period. He, we, we spoke with him yesterday, got a little Band-Aid on the top of his hand where the stitches are. Uh, they are hoping he can get back out on the field next week and, and start fielding drills. Can't pick up the bat yet, but he's been hitting with the bottom hand. He's been tracking pitches, trying to stay as sharp as he possibly can. If it's four weeks, that'll get him back with about two weeks of games to go. I think there's a decent chance that he could make opening day. And if it's six weeks, that is opening day. But regardless, they don't believe he's going to be out any more than 10 days, if that, at the beginning of the season. So you're hoping that you're able to get him out there. And Erasmo Ramirez, I spoke with him yesterday, spoke with him again today. And it sounded a little daunting when he heard, okay, you've already got a a little bit of a lat strain. They are very optimistic that they shut him down quick enough that it hasn't turned into anything. Erasmo says he feels nothing with it right now. Of course, he's not throwing or doing any baseball activities, but in his day-to-day movements, has not felt it at all. And he said that when they shut him down, it was actually progressing at that point, just not quick enough. And they thought, you know what, this time of the year, there is no need to play through anything. Let's go ahead and just stop right now. So we won't know with Erasmo until he actually picks up a baseball again, but cross your fingers, that doesn't look terribly serious. And health will be a lot of our conversation. I mean, there's not a lot. You look at the roster and how it sits. There's not a lot of jobs to be won. There's a few that we'll be watching in certain areas, but I think health is going to be what we're watching most this spring training. And a few changes in baseball. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, the pace of play, and they're going to try to pick things up. Only six visits to the mound, unless you go out and make a pitching change, in the nine-inning game. So I talked to Mike Zanino about that. You'll hear that from Mike, what he thinks about, uh, you know, that change in the rules. Right now, the time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Lock in the best seats at the best prices to catch all of the action at Safeco Field in 2018. For more information on the many benefits you're going to enjoy as a season ticket holder, log on to Mariners.com slash 18. We are underway. The Cactus League Report from the Peoria Sports Complex, our first edition of the Cactus League Report down here in Arizona. Coming up next, we're going to visit with the skipper, Scott Service, right after this timeout. And welcome back to our first edition of the Cactus League Report from the Peoria Sports Complex. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill. And right now, our special guest here in the first hour of the show is Mariner Skipper Scott Service. Scott, it's great to have you come by the uh, booth tonight as we get ready for the opening game in a couple of days, uh, Friday afternoon against the San Diego Padres. Can you already believe it's your your third year as a big league skipper with this organization? Time flies when you're when you're having fun. It really has has gone fast. Uh, it's amazing how much I've learned uh, uh, the last or uh, the first two years in the job. I think uh, coming in this spring training, much more comfortable. Uh, the biggest thing is our roster. We just don't have as much turnover on our roster. So um, certainly we've got a couple new guys with, with D. Gordon and, and Ryan Healy in the mix here and then Juan Nicasio. But, you know, the, the core of our team is back intact. It's the same faces. Uh, it's healthy bodies, which is great to see. Yeah. So we're excited to get going here in Cactus League play. You know, you always have a speech uh, for the guys when they come in, pitchers and catchers reported on the 14th, the rest of the club on the 19th. What did you tell the guys when they first showed up this spring? Oh, we, we had a very good talk. Uh, yesterday was our first full squad, and, and uh, you know, you have all off season to kind of prepare and what the message is going to be. And certainly we've got things to work on this spring. There's deficiencies in our club. We've got to get better at our base running. And, uh, you know, our pitching, keeping the guys healthy is going to be really focused for us. And we, when we get to opening day, we're rested and we're ready to go. Uh, you know, the message yesterday is, you know, every team has to deal with adversity. Uh, throughout the course of the season. I think we just saw, you know, the, the Super Bowl, the Eagles win it. They, they lost their starting quarterback. Uh, you know, it looked like the season was over. They dealt with adversity very well. Certainly the Astros dealt with some adversity last year on their way to win the World Series. So we will have our share uh, this year as well. 
you know, it's how we deal with it, how we react to it, and how we move forward. So I guess in a nutshell, uh, that was kind of the basis of the talk, but I, I kind of expanded upon different things there. And you know, one of the questions I asked our team is, why are we here? Why do we do what we do? And uh, threw it right at a few of the guys and uh, got the answer I was looking for. So it was a good meeting. You've already been hit with a little bit of adversity, a couple of uh, early injuries. Ryan Healy with the hand, things look pretty optimistic for him, uh, getting back in in reasonable order. And then Erasmo Ramirez as well. What are the latest on them? Well, the the reports on Ryan are very, very positive. You know, he went in there and they had a little incision. They took a little piece of a bone out or a bone spur rose removed. Uh, He's healing very quickly. There's not any swelling. Um, you know, the, the initial prognosis was, you know, four to six weeks. It's definitely going to be closer to the four-week period um, based on, on what I'm hearing and, and seeing. And, you know, Ryan's uh, chomping at the bit to get out there and be part of this thing. So that's definitely very positive. Uh, and what it could have been, it, it turned out probably the best-case scenario for us. So that's a good one. Erasmo, uh, a little setback uh, after his first bullpen. The, um, you know, it's, it's a lat strain. Uh, he's not going to touch a ball for two weeks. Uh, at that point, he'll get reevaluated, and we we'll see where we go from there. Always a little bit touchy with starting pitching because you need the time to get him stretched out. So when he when he takes him out, it's just not go out there and throw an inning or two that he could actually go four or five innings. So I'm not quite sure where that's going to end up or where it's going to lead to. But for right now, you know, we're in a holding pattern. Give him some time down and let it calm down. When you look at the spring in general and look at your club, what will make a good spring training for the Seattle Mariners this year? Health. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty simple. It's it's making sure. I think sometimes players get the feeling when they leave spring training, they're just they're exhausted. They're tired. Uh, the goal this year is when we leave spring training and when we tee it up on, on March 29th against Cleveland, we're excited, we're fresh, we're ready to go. Um, and I think, you know, with the adjustment in our schedule this spring, I, I definitely think it's going to help. Um, you know, we've got 12 night games down here uh, in Arizona. It's more of what we normally do in our season. So uh, I think that will be a benefit. Also kind of how we, we you know, spread out playing time is going to be a little bit different. You know, in the past you would kind of ramp guys up and play them a ton the last week of the, you know, exhibition season. You may not see that this year. You might see the really the bulk, the heavy lifting of the workload of our players, or position players, happen more towards the middle of camp. And then we back off a little bit at the end. So you know, we're trying some different things. Uh, I've put a lot of thought into this thing, and it's so important, I think, for us to, to be in a good spot health-wise, be fresh uh, with our legs, and, and get off to a good start, and hopefully that helps. Speaking of uh, fresh with your legs, I had a great conversation with D. Gordon <laughs> this morning. Uh, I love this kid. You know, the respect that he has for his teammates and the media and uh, the game of baseball growing up uh, in a baseball family. Tom Gordon was one of the best closers in the game of baseball at the time man was he tough and his younger brother nick is a shortstop in the twins organization but he makes the transition from an all-star gold glove second baseman to center field what have you seen so far in this young man to make that move out to center field i know it's very early in the spring it is he's very gifted he's a great athlete everybody knows he's one of the fastest guys in in major league baseball so we're we're hoping that transition is, is smooth uh he's got very good very high baseball iq he understands the game Certainly understands it very well from the offensive side uh, and the base running side. Also defensively, I think he's going to grasp onto this thing really quickly and, and take it and run with it. Uh, I'm excited to have him in our clubhouse. It's a different personality. It's, it's very, very outgoing, uh, very dynamic. He's got the ability to kind of touch base and, and relate to a lot of different players within our clubhouse. Um, he's just kind of a happy-go-lucky. He's very easy to talk to. He's got a smile on his face. And, uh, the work ethic has uh, been off the chart. 
uh, since the day we acquired him. You know, he's quick to get out into center field, and his goal, I think, was to come into spring training and look like an outfielder, and he does. He really does. It doesn't look like an infielder just threw a different glove on. You know, he has been working at some things. It's been a smooth transition so far. He also brings a lot of the flash. I noticed the gold cleats today. That was the first <laughs> time in the batting cage. And then he had a little bling on the wrist as well, which is something I hadn't seen before I love it. out of the uh, I love it. Be who you are, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can bring some of the swag along with you. Um, I, I do like everything he brings. Uh, uh, he does have a respect for the game. He, he really does. He plays it the right way. Um, you'll see him busting down the line. He'll be doing the little things that I think uh, fans appreciate. Um, we all love to see the 450-foot home run, but I think that's the beauty of baseball is they come in all different shapes and sizes, and there's different ways to impact the game. And certainly D is gifted with the speed he has, and he's able to impact the game a number of ways, and we hopefully it plays out in center field as well. You mentioned his personality. As a skipper, how important is it to you to have kind of a, a personality mix in a clubhouse? Uh, very important. Uh, I think you need to have a diverse group. Uh, we certainly do. Uh, we've got a strong Latin contingent of players. Uh, you know, we've, we've you know, obviously Seeger's been here for a while, uh, coming from where he comes from and over North Carolina area. Uh, Healy's a, a Southern California guy. Zanino, Florida. I mean, they're all spread out. So I think, you know, bringing the group together, it's not so much where they come from, but hopefully you can bring them all together and so that they really appreciate and, and embrace being a Seattle Mariner. And you know, I know the guys that have been here for a while understand that. Um, D. Gordon quickly getting in the mix here. He wants to be part of a winner, and we've talked a lot about that this spring, um, what it's going to take to take to get us to the next level. And it's going to take a lot of attention to detail. It's going to be taking care of the, uh, the small things. The small things end up being big things, mm-hmm. and it's not so much about one player having a terrific season and that guy carrying us. We've got a very good team, and I think if everybody just does their job, we've got a chance to have a great year. I like the offense and, and the makeup of your your uh, lineup, Skip, you know, taking a look at your ball club, Gamble and Gordon and Hanniger in the outfield, and you got Heredia and you got Seeger and Segura and Cano, the future Hall of Famer, and eventually Ryan Healy back over there at first base, and, and Zunino and, and uh, Nelson Cruz is your DH. Where are the battles? What jobs are there to be won on your ball club right now going into the first game on Friday? You know, our lineup is more set than it has been in, in recent years. Um, you know, certainly we got we need to figure out the backup catcher situation and how that plays out. I think there's a couple spots in the bullpen that'll be a good competition and how that does uh, wind down here as the as the camp goes on. Um, you know, starting pitching with a Rasmo, not quite knowing if he's going to be ready to go or not, that might leave the door open for somebody else there to to step up. Um, you know, so th- there are some battles out there, uh, you know, at first base. If Healy isn't quite ready for opening day, you know, how does that play out? So, you know, plenty of things to watch and evaluate here as we go on. Visiting with the skipper, Scott Service, here in the Cactus League Report from the Peoria Sports Complex. And we'll be back with more with the skipper after this timeout. And again, welcome back to the Cactus League Report. We are reporting from the Peoria Sports Complex, where in a couple of days the Mariners take on the San Diego Padres, visiting with manager Scott Service, Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill. And, and Skip, uh, tell us a little bit about what you saw from Felix Hernandez, the health of this ball club. You, you addressed that. I mean, last year, 17 different starters, 40 different pitchers. And uh, James Paxton, what have you seen so far early in the spring with, with – uh, Felix and with Paxton and uh, in the, and in the starting rotation in general. And saw Felix throw his bullpen, second bullpen yesterday, uh, which was much better than his first one, which is as expected. Uh, but you know, Felix, we've talked about um, being on a little bit different program or schedule this spring. Um, 
kind of going through the normal spring schedule. Felix has always been kind of slow to get started in the spring most times because he was coming off a heavy workload the year before. That's not the case uh, with the, the amount of time he missed last year. So uh, we gave him a heads up uh, about a month and a half outside of camp. Uh, he knew coming in. Uh, he was prepared. He'd thrown a couple of bullpens before he got here. And he is not in uh, midseason form yet, nor should he be. Sure. You know, but I think the the reason we wanted him to get him going earlier was he has time to work on things and he doesn't have to ramp it up, you know, right at the end when it gets close to the bell ringing here at uh, the, the start of the season. So uh, I feel good about where he's at. I saw James Paxson throw a live BP today. You know, he looks really good, um, healthy. All of his pitches are working, no issues there. Um, you know, I, Mike Leak is Mike Leak. He's a pro. He knows how to get ready. Uh, Marco Gonzalez has been a, a nice surprise. He's you know, got his full repertoire of pitches now. Last year was his first full year off of Tommy John. He really hadn't thrown much. His cutter was that the pitch to keep the right-handed hitters honest. Uh, we've seen him break that out already this spring. It could be a real weapon for him and, and, and widen the plate. So everybody's knows he's got a good changeup, and I think the cutter, uh, adding that to his mix, will, will really help him. So, you know, uh, there's other young guys that have, have looked well and impressive. Our bullpen, I can go on and on. I really like the bullpen arms. <laughs> Uh, we've got a lot of depth down there. We've got a lot of power down there. But, uh, again, pitching, its you, you go look at some bullpens and everybody looks great and you look at live BP and everybody looks awesome and, okay, let's start the game. And uh, sometimes things change there. So I'm realistic uh, on where we're at. But uh, for the most part, uh, the guys are, are, are healthy. They're feeling good. The ball's coming out good. You are going to get into your pitching depth at some point of this season. Hopefully not as much as you did last year, but there's a reason why you have pitching depth. And, if you look at last year, I suppose a positive would be that uh, Ariel Miranda got a full year in the big leagues. Andrew Moore made his big league debut and saw big league hitters. Getting that experience is important. But beyond that, what are steps forward you would like to see some of those guys specifically take? Well, you hit on that. We said all year last year the, the silver lining was going to be uh, the fact that all these guys did get experience. And there's 21 pitchers in our camp right now that pitched for us at Safeco Field last year. That's a, that's a big number. We haven't had that number the last couple of years. So all those guys got experience. Uh, some of them maybe a little bit more than, than we wanted or they were ready for, but they do have that experience. I think now is the – you find out a lot about people. And, and, you know, in Andrew Moore's case, it's really the first time in his career he ever struggled. And you find out a lot about people when they do struggle or they face adversity and can they bounce back and what adjustments do they make. Um, you know, he, he has looked very good this spring so far. And there's a couple adjustments. Our, our pitching group, Mel and, and Jim Brower and, and Brian DeLunas, have, have brought to his attention. He's addressed it. Um, and, and hopefully it continues and, and shows well on the field once the games start. But, you know, Miranda, obviously everybody knows what, what got him last year was the long ball. He gave up a lot of home runs. Uh, that came from uh, getting in. You know, uh, bad counts, getting deep in the count. Miranda's got a good fastball, but when they know it's coming and it's not located in a perfect spot and he is a fly ball pitcher, the results weren't great all the time. I, I will say that he had some great outings for us. I think we, we lose sight of the fact that, you know, he had some really s- solid outings. But, again, you know, the home run ball, what do we do to combat that? You know, he's got to use a little bit more secondary pitches and get command of those pitches. He can throw them in 3-2 and 2-2 counts and not always rely on the fastball. So, you know, talking to those two guys specifically, they certainly got things to work on here in camp. That's something we talk about. That's what the spring training's for, you know, making adjustments, trying some different things, trying and add a pitch here or there or, or add and subtract off other pitches. So, uh, you know, you're always trying things, uh, and you never know what's going to click. But uh, the nice thing about our group is that our guys are very open. They, they want to learn. And they want information. It's up to us to give them the good information. James Paxton last year was really unhittable at times and piled up some really good numbers you look at him coming into this season what are your expectations 
of James Paxton this year. Uh, for that stretch he had last year, I think he was a American League Pitcher of the Month. I don't know if he can get any better. It was just dominant. And for a while, people started mentioning his name, possible Cy Young race, you know, and obviously the, the injuries took him off the rails. Uh, the, the big thing with Paxton, he knows that we've talked about it a lot. Take the ball. You know, you got to stay healthy. He stays healthy. The numbers are going to take care of themselves. So um, he's <laughs> he's done a lot of different things this offseason. The one thing about Pax is he's very inquisitive. He'll do a lot of research. He's, he's trying to find things out there that not just baseball players but our athletes are doing to get the most out of their body, from the nutrition to sleep patterns to the different sports science, you know, people out there that have things to offer. So um, I, I think he's he's found some things. He, he's really in a good spot. His body's in great shape. Uh, I know his arm's working well. I saw that today. So uh, I look for him to kind of continue to take the next step. And, and that for me is, is you know, like being the top echelon five, ten, top ten, five or ten pitcher in the American League. Like when you go out there, it's like you're shocked if the guy doesn't go seven innings, you know, and, and you don't win the ball game. You just expect to win every time he takes the mound. So uh, he's working his tail off. He, he's in a really good spot right now. Yeah, you know, with that guy, he has a chance to give the bullpen uh, – a little bit of a breather every every five days, and you mm-hmm. need that guy in your rotation. Skip, some new rule changes coming up uh, this year. Your thoughts on that, where now six visits out to the mound. Uh, like Are you going to count them down for me? I, I know I'm <laughs> not because I won't be able to keep track. So I, I was going to ask you, Manny Acta, your new bench coach, is he going to be like an, uh, an NBA assistant, like you got four more timeouts left or, or, or trips to the mound? And the other interesting part is that I was talking with Mike Belinsky, who's a major league umpire, who flew down on the flight with us a few days ago. He said if, a, if an infielder comes in and relocates and talks to the pitcher, it could possibly be a visit to the mound. And they were going to go over that in a conference call uh, yesterday. So your thoughts about the six visits to the mound and uh, how that you see that yeah, playing out? Yeah, the, the, the players on the field really play into the counting up the number of visits. You know, if Zeno runs out there and wants to talk strategy or whatever, that counts as a visit. If uh, Eddie Diaz is out there and he's struggling and Robbie Cano wants to come in and calm him down, counts as a visit. If Kyle Seager's at third base and it's first and second and we want to put a bunt play on and Kyle walks into the mound to tell the pitcher what the play is, that's a visit. So you, you've got to kind of you got to be a cognizant of everything that's going on around you, and and our, we've talked to our players a little bit about it. We'll get in a little bit more depth there once the games start in a couple of days. They will start doing it in spring training. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not so much you know Mel uh, or myself, but when I go to the mound, I usually make a change, and that does not count into the six right. visits uh, when you go ahead and make a pitching change. So. It'll be a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal, quite frankly. Our players will be more aware of it. Uh, but I, like I told Z, you got to go to the mound in the first, second, and then go to the mound. You know, let's let's we'll worry about this where the, where the visits yeah. are in the seventh and eighth. Let, let's yeah. keep our starting pitcher in the game and keep him in a good spot. So uh, I don't want to slow that down at all. But you know, it will be a little adjustment. Teams will talk about it. Players will adjust, um, and I think it will move the game along a bit quicker. How much? I'm not sure. I think you mentioned base running as a focus this spring and always. I think I did I think mention for that. that matter, I think we, I did we, mention yes, that. Base um, how do you handle these early games? I know some years it's let's test it out and, and send them, see how they can run, or do you approach that a little bit differently? Do you approach it like in season right off the bat? Do you, everybody have the green light? Nobody have the green light? What are you doing with well, Seager? Yes. I think the base running is so much more than just stealing bases. You know, first of all, so, you know, the guys that typically have the green light uh, in the regular season will have it in spring. The guy, in spring training, the guys who don't, won't. You know, we'll, we'll, that'll be coming from the bench. We want our guys to put pressure, you know, on, on the defense, and we want to be aggressive. I, I would much rather have us take a few more chances in spring training 
We had a very good meeting today as far as setting the tone and, and the mindset about how we're going to go after this thing and why we need to get better. Uh, you know, base running, is, it's a, it is a mindset, and it it's kind of shows you what kind of teammate you are. Uh, that's something we talked about today. Uh, because, you know, you've kind of done your thing. You've either gotten a hit or however you've gotten on base. That's the statistic that's tied to your name. Um, but there's also a, a big number. I know D. Gordon pays a ton of attention to it. It's run scored. Um, you know, last year I think our team scored about 750 runs. The Astros led the league at 896. Uh, I look back at the great Mariners teams. Everybody goes back to 2001. They won 116 games. It was scored over 900 runs. Um, I think our offense is what makes us dangerous. I don't want to lose sight of what we do really, really well. Uh, I think we're going to score a lot of runs, but we can't give up outs on the bases. That is the key thing is, you know, we've got 27 to play with on the offensive side. Let's make them get us out at, in the batter's box and not on the bases. So decision-making, awareness, putting pressure, all those things have been talked about. Now we've got to put it in play. Practicing it a lot, talking about it is one thing. Putting it in play in the game is another thing. So we certainly got guys that are capable uh, of being more aggressive. If you start talking about the Gamels and the Hanegers and, you know, I don't know about Seegers and Eno, but, <laughs> you know, with, uh, with with D. Gordon at the top of the lineup, uh, yeah. what Gene Segura can yeah. do on the bases, we do need to work that into our game and really use it as a weapon. That's going to be fun to watch with those two guys at the top of the order and the big guys in behind them. Scott, i got a lot more questions for you. I'm going to save them for Friday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Friday morning. first manager's yes, interview. It's, it's the first. 196? We've got 32 spring training games, and we got 162 plus the playoffs. October. We got, we're headed towards over 200 this year. <laughs> I love it. I hope we do about 250 <laughs> interviews. That would be awesome. We'll see. Awesome. We'll save this. Thanks a lot for coming by tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to get started. And again, appreciate all the support. And it's been crazy how many Seattle people are down here. Yeah. Uh, you know, coming down early, spring training, getting autographs, hanging out with our players and our coaching staff. It's been great to see. It's you know, understanding that the fan support up in the Pacific Northwest means a lot to us, and it's great to see those people down here. It's going to be a fun year. Skipper Scott Service. Scott, thanks for coming by. Coming up next, you're going to really enjoy watching this young man play and listen to his interviews. He is really something. New Mariners center fielder D. Gordon coming up your way next after this timeout. Welcome back to the Cactus League Report. We have a great interview for you coming up. Rick Riz sitting down with D. Gordon. And, of course, you can buy more and save discounted tickets available for groups of 20 or more, flexible seating options, private hospitality, picnic packages, all available to complete your group's day at the ballpark. For more info and to book your 2018 group rate, visit mariners.com slash groups. Great to have you with us, and you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Rick Riz with D. Gordon. Well, a chance to visit with the new Mariner center fielder, D. Gordon. D., thanks a lot for the visit. We really appreciate it. Spring training 2018 is underway. It's great to see you in a Mariner's uniform after coming up with the Dodgers in the last three years with the Miami Marlins. A lot of success in Miami. Got to ask you, first of all, right out of the chute, what was your thought when, back in December, you found out that you were traded away to the Seattle Mariners? Uh, at first, I was I was like, man, I've got to change positions. But then, uh, you know, that subsided real quick, you know, talked to some guys who play here, and, uh, you know, and, you know, they told me how great, you know, this, this organization was, and I was excited. Talking about changing positions, you were an all-star at second base in Miami, won a gold glove, and now all of a sudden they said, you know, why don't you go out there and play center field? Tell me a little bit about, first of all, buying a glove. Did you go to Dick's Sporting Goods to try to find a glove, an outfielder's glove? Yeah, I had to go find an outfielder's glove. That glove didn't work out too well, so I actually don't have a clue where it is right now at this moment. Uh, but, yeah, I had to make sure I get one. 
because I never had one before. Maybe Ken Griffey Jr. can loan you one of his old ones. Besides, two days later, you're working with Ken Griffey Jr. What was that like, and how did that come about? Uh, I called him. I called him. called him up. He lived down the street from me. And I was like, Mr. Griffey, I need your help. Uh, he was like, all right, I'm here for you. Anything you need, just let me know. And we got together. What did he tell you as far as playing center field? Because for all those years, I saw him come up as a kid, as a 19-year-old kid in 1989. He was the best I've ever seen out there in center field. Uh, what advice did he give you about making that transition, about playing center field? Uh, just how to read the ball, you know, uh, how to judge the wind, how to judge different things, uh, playing on the wall, things like that. Uh, he helped me a lot. Games are going to be getting underway here real soon in the next couple of days. And the thinking is that if you can play outfield here in Arizona, you can play outfield anywhere. The high sky, the wind, the bright sunshine. So this is going to be a great test for you. What have, the, have been some of the challenges so far going from a position where in the middle of the infield to covering all that space out in straightaway center field and, and into the gaps? Uh, honestly, it's just like uh, it's seeing the guys next to me. You know, in BP, if you're shagging, you're just running around and a bunch of guys are out there with you. So uh, now it's going to be me out there with guys, you know, yeah. uh, telling them where I'm moving, talking, things like that. Uh, I know what to say on the infield. Uh, so, you know, the chatter and the outfield I'm getting, I'm getting used to. Visiting it with new Mariner center fielder D. Gordon. D., let's go back a few years and find out about yourself growing up uh, in Florida. You were an outstanding basketball player. Great basketball player in high school. All of a sudden, your senior year, somebody had the great idea to say, hey, why don't you start swinging the bat and play baseball? Senior year, you play baseball. You end up going to college to play baseball. Whose wonderful idea was it for you to put basketball on the shelf a little bit and start to play baseball? Well, what happened was my dad made a, made a bet with me that if I played baseball, he will get me a car. Whoa. Play baseball. He didn't get me a new car. He gave me like his fishing car. Like it's like this. The first car I ever drove like by myself on a regular was a Jeep uh, Wrangler, and it was stick shift. So I was like, oh my god. So I was, you know, stalling out everywhere in front of girls and everything. <laughs> so it was definitely his bright idea. So how close were you to keep going with with the basketball route? Uh, honestly, on graduation day. My dad and my uncle sat there, you know, in my grandmother's kitchen and was like, we think you should play baseball. Half of my uncles, I can look on their face, they were, they were kind of mad about it because I was so talented in basketball. And the other half was just like, yeah, you're going to play baseball. So <laughs> I have no choice. Okay, now let's tell the folks your dad is Tom Gordon. I watched your dad many, many years. Your dad was one of the best closers in the game of baseball. He had one of the nastiest curveballs I've ever seen, you know, broadcasting games and hitters have ever seen. Uh, you just told me a few minutes ago you could hit your dad's curveball. Is that right? Yeah, my dad. Yeah, dad, I hit your curveball all the time. You know it. <laughs> Obviously, he was huge in helping you make that decision. But growing up, what do you remember about your dad as, as a as a major league pitcher? Uh, just seeing how how professional he was, how he went about his business every day, how he didn't take you know take a break on the mound. He was so relentless every single day, and you know I just kind of want to be that way, but kind of be a, 
a little bit, have a little bit more fun in there because <laughs> I play every day. So uh, just my dad was relentless. And, I mean, I try to be that way, but it's kind of hard for me. Yeah. Remember your dad, little guy with a huge curveball. Let's talk more about D. Gordon. D. Watching you, uh, you really came into your own. Coming up with the Dodgers, hit 300, 200 hits in the National League. Won a National League batting title a couple of years ago with the Miami Marlins. When did you find out that you could be that type of guy, putting the bat on the ball as often as you did? You also had some good years in the All Star year with the Dodgers as well. When did it come together for you? Uh, honestly, I've always been able to hit. Like, I've never not been able to hit. I don't hit for a lot of power, but, like, consistently put the barrel on the ball. I've always been able to do that. And uh, going into 2000, in 2013, I was going up and down with the Dodgers. And, you know, one day when I came down, I told the hitting coach, I never want to come back here. So teach me how to hit the correct way so I can teach myself when things are messed up up there. Instead, I have to know, wait on the coach to fix me because, you know, coaches got 15 other guys they got to work out with. Yeah. And so I want to be able to I wanted to be able to be a guy to help myself, help myself as quick as possible and turn things around. And so we just started taking the nose, taking those necessary steps. And once we started taking those steps, it became better and better. And the game started slowing down. What did he teach you that you realized in your swing you could fix it right away if things were going south a little bit? Uh, just how does we we took it to a point where I was swinging so hard down on baseball that I could hit a chopper probably two feet in, two feet in front of me, and you know we started working on that, started working off of that actually, and to smooth out my swing even more. I've always had a really good swing. But uh, I just need to refine it a little more. I kind of start missing myself a little bit, and uh, he got me back right. The part of your game I love watching is the fact that you can steal bases, 60 stolen bases. Last year to lead the National League, you led the National League three times in stolen bases with 58-60-60. What do you look for? What do you key on that says D. Gordon can take off? Uh, it's just little, little subtle keys. These guys are so great at holding runners on now and being so fast to the plate and still, you know, reaching their max velocity. Uh, they make, they definitely make it tough on me, uh, but, you know, I'm up for the challenge. And I just key on, you know, the things that I work on and look at, you know, in the video room, at home, uh, you know, during the game. Uh, I just try to make sure I'm the best I can be because I know my run counts for a lot. Great baseball family. Your younger brother, Nick Gordon, shortstop with the Minnesota Twins. How's uh, how's Nick doing? And what's it like growing up in that in that family with your dad and your uncles and and you and Nick? What was that like for you? It's awesome, man. It's awesome for me and my brother to continue the legacy. You know, I had some uncles who played professionally as well. They never made it to the big league. So for me, you know, to, to be the little guy that used to run around behind them while they were practicing, and make it to the big leagues is pretty cool, actually. Uh, but my brother, he was groomed from the day he oh, was yeah. born to be a big leaguer. So, you know, I can't wait for that day to happen for him. Visiting with D. Gordon. D., you, you hit one of the most inspirational home runs, I think, in the history of the game of baseball over the last 20 years. Sadly, your great friend, Jose Fernandez, uh, passed away in a tragic boating accident with the Miami Marlins during the season. And the next day, you go up to home plate I think with his batting helmet, 
and you, you don't hit home runs. You get on base. You steal bases. You, you hit 300. But this particular at-bat, you hit a home run. And uh, you came up to home plate, and you, know, you touched home plate, and we were very emotional. Uh, what in the world was that like for you, that home run? Honestly, man, it was like like anything, like a big situation. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty much confident in myself. But honestly, I didn't even want to swing at that pitch. Uh, it was a 2-0 pitch. I don't swing 2-0 too often. And for some reason, I just swung, and the ball went really far, you know. <laughs> And when I looked up, I was like, well, I, I wouldn't believe it would have went any other way, honestly. Uh, I, I didn't surprise myself, if I could put it in a better context. And I definitely didn't try to go deep, but it happened. You know, uh, my family always says God works in mysterious ways. And I guess that's what that, that moment was for me, you know, to show the world that we really loved Jose. And uh, we're going to miss him. I think Jose had something to do with that. For sure. For sure. He was tapping God on the shoulder like, come on, man. Let my boy go deep right here. Because, you know, me and him, it's crazy. Me and him always joke. Like, he was like, dog, you can go deep in BP. I seen you go deep in spring training. Why don't you hit homers? I was like, doggy, I'm saving them for, for a special moment. And that was it. There was Rick Riz with D Gordon and Rick. We played that home run, and man, the the images are amazing. The video. D Gordon is in, in tears as he crosses home plate after hitting that home run. That it's incredible to see. And now, so long after the fact of that tragic accident, doing the interview with with D, uh, you know, he was still very very emotional. Yeah. I mean, he lost one one of his best friends in his entire life, and it still shakes him to the core. Mm -hmm after what happened and uh, to see him break down like that and to be helped from, from the field. I think it was John Carlos Stanton who basically carried him from home plate and uh, back to the dugout. And he said, you know, I don't hit home runs. And that day, that was a long home it run. It was a wallop. It yeah. was a long yeah. home run. And he, he, he said at the end of the interview, Jose had something to do with it. Uh, that was amazing. Great moment. Great conversation. That was fun to listen to. D. Gordon with Rick Riz. We'll come back with more right after this in the Cactus League Report. And again, welcome back to the Cactus League Report, broadcasting from our broadcast vantage point here in Peoria at the Peoria Sports Complex. And uh, you just heard the interview with D. Gordon. But right now, let's talk a little trivia. And here is the trivia question for the night. There are four active players in Major League Baseball with 500 or more doubles. Name one. The winner tonight will receive a 2018 St. Patrick's Day on-field cap. Call right now, toll-free, at 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Those numbers again, toll-free, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Enjoy the interview with D. Gordon. I'll tell you what, Shannon and Gary, manager Scott Service, is going to have a lot of fun managing this ball club this year with that speed at the top of the order. D. Gordon, 60 stolen bases last year. Hopefully uh, 
even more this year, Shannon. And hopefully he has some friends that are stealing some bases, too. Mm-hmm. You heard the skipper talk about base running is more than that. But I, I really think the last few years we have not seen this team do what it can do on the bases. And you, you hope that a healthy Gene Segura, you know, he had leg troubles last year, perhaps can steal a few more bases this year as well. Ben Gamble at the bottom of the order can steal bases. Mitch Hanniger should be stealing bases, too. It's always good to have that guy around you who has that experience. And Dee Gordon's going to be aggressive about it. This is, you know, a huge part of his game, something that he really takes pride in. So, you know, let, let's hope we see a lot of stolen bases this year. Now, especially that speed at the top, you, you think about a guy like Cano or a guy like Gene as well. It gets you a lot of doubles. I mean, Gordon is a guy that can score from first base with that kind of speed easily with a ball in the gap. So uh, we we know D. Gordon values scoring runs, and he's got a chance to score, I think, a ton of runs at the top of this order. And the, and the thing for Cano, Cruz, and Seager, and Hanniger, and Healy, and Zanino, the guys that are going to hit behind those two, Gordon and Segura, they're going to see a lot more fastballs. Because even, even when he's not running and stealing, he's a threat to steal just about every time that he's on base. So these guys are going to have a lot of fun swinging the bat behind these two. Well, anything that just takes even a little bit of concentration away from the hitter is always a good thing. And you can see it. It can. It really bothers pitchers at times when you have a guy like Gordon who you know can fly and wants to be aggressive stealing a bag. And now it's likely the catcher can't come down and settle, settle down that pitcher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. He's got to wait. He's Strategy. Gonna... <laughs> I'll tell you what, it could be fun because those two guys at the top of the order, they have in their careers have had 200 or more hits in a single season. They will be on base for the big bats behind them. That's a look at our first hour here in the Cactus League Report. Coming up in the second hour, we're going to visit with uh, Mariner catcher Mike Zunino. I'll tell you what, he's always busy at spring training. What a turnaround for Zunino last year. We'll also visit with Anthony Castrovins from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. That's in the second hour coming up. On the Cactus League Report from Peoria, Arizona, where 2018 spring training is underway. Stay tuned. More coming from Peoria right after this timeout. And from the Peoria Sports Complex here in Peoria, Arizona, we move and slide right into the second hour of our first edition of the Cactus League Report. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer, Gary Hill, and uh, I tell you what, I enjoyed the first hour with manager Scott Service, along with the interview with Dee Gordon. We're going to visit with uh, Mike Zanino in just a little while. But first of all, the trivia question. The question was, there are four active players right now in Major League Baseball with 500 or more doubles. Name one. Well, for the answer, let's go to the audio vault. And the one-two pitch, breaking ball, swing, and a line drive down the right field line, a fair ball in toward the corner. Here comes double number 500 up with the ball. Bonifacio, the throw in, is cut off by the second baseman, Merrifield. Around the third goes Gene Segura and Robbie Cano. Welcome to the 500 double club. And there it is, Robbie Cano last year, his 500th career double on August the 4th against Kansas City, making him one of only 63 players. In Major League history, with at least 500 doubles, became the seventh second baseman, his primary position in Major League history, to collect 500 doubles, joining Craig Biggio, Napoleon Lijaway, Charlie Geringer, Jeff Kent, Rogers Hornsby, and Roberto Alomar. What a milestone for Robbie Cano. So uh, we've got the, uh, i tell you what, the other guys, besides uh, Robbie Cano, active players with 500 more doubles, Albert Pujols, Adrian Beltre, and Miguel Cabrera. 
And I tell you what, he just goes on and on and on, Shannon and Gary, with big base hits. And last year collected his 300th career home run. He just gets the job done. And it, it was fun to watch him show up for camp. And you looked at Robbie and... You know, this is a guy that uh, gives everything he has during the season. It's good to see that he gets the downtime in the off season. Did a little bit of traveling, but he shows up in just tremendous shape, as the, did Nelson Cruz. And, and just to see these guys continue to do what they do. And, uh, you know, that's why you went and got Robbie. You went and got him, so he would be that guy in the middle of your order for a long, long time. And he just keeps on producing. I'm looking forward to Robbie Cano picking up his second double of the season, which could happen in opening day, because he'll be at 514 when that happens. And given the offseason, 514 doubles should sound pretty familiar because he'll tie Edgar Martinez on the all-time career doubles list with two more doubles, which it's a remarkable number. Anything over 500 is incredible. But even at, at this stage of his career, to reach 514 is amazing. And, you know, with all the Hall of Fame talk that we had about Edgar over the offseason, you start to look at Robinson Cano and the career he's had as a second baseman. To be honest, I think he could walk away today, and he's in the Hall of Fame. He's had that kind of career. He has stacked up some pretty incredible numbers, especially as a second baseman. It's, It's amazing. How about this for Robbie Cano? Last year with that 300th career home run, he became the 16th player in Major League history to record a career batting average of 300 or better while collecting at least 1,000 runs, 2,000 hits, 500 doubles, 300 home runs, and 1,000 runs batted in. He joins Edgar Martinez, Hank Aaron, George Brett, Miguel Cabrera, Lou Gehrig, Todd Helton, Rogers Hornsby, Chipper Jones, Willie Mays, Stan Musial, Albert Pujols, Manny Ramirez, Babe Ruth, Al Simmons, and Ted Williams. That is Hall of Fame company. Robbie Cano is a Hall of Famer. It's Hall of Fame company, and what I am hoping and crossing my fingers, if you think about it, Robinson Cano, the last two years and the year before that, uh, last two years he's dealt with leg injuries. Mm. The year before that he dealt with the sports hernia for a time being. And hit 330. If he is fully healthy this year, if the high performance and and Dr. Lorena Martin Martin are able to help him at all, and when I look at him right now, I think he looks a little bit smaller in the lower body, which I think will help him out as he gets older. If he has any more help than he has had with the legs the last couple of years, those doubles numbers can go up. Yeah, agreed. And he had 33 last year, 33 the year before, 34 the year before I think that. There's more I, there. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I agree. And I, his I, swing is built for extra base hits because he drives the ball the other way into the gap in left center. And it's strange to look at his line. 150 games last year, and I mean that's a lot for any major league player. But for Robinson Cano, it's the fewest he's played in since. His second year in the big leagues in 2006 when he wasn't really a full-time starter at that point. Yeah, remember so. last year he sat out the four-game series yeah. in Toronto, then went on the disabled list with the, with the quad Which issue. Which never happens. Yeah, but he wants to play every day. He, he didn't want to go on the disabled list, but, uh, you know, he's, he's fun to watch. Shannon, Gary, what are you guys looking forward to here in 2018? Well, this spring, what I'm really looking forward to watching, you know, obviously we talked about Dee Gordon and that transition to center field. I mean, yeah. we're going to see it right in front of us, game after game after game. Second baseman in center field. Let's go. In tough conditions here, but so far so good with him. I'm really interested to see what happens at the top of the rotation. You know, can Felix Hernandez make that adjustment 
to, to mm-hmm. you know, use what he has. I've said it over and over and over again. I know last year was a struggle with the health. And when he was healthy, you kind of saw, well, the numbers weren't where you would expect him. He doesn't have that fastball, but I think he's still got so many weapons. Yeah. He can just learn to use them right and commit to that. Can he do that right now? And James Paxton, does he grab that mm-hmm. ace yeah. spot? Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch the both of them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think those are two huge storylines. There's a couple guys I'll be watching closely along those same lines. Marco Gonzalez is one I'll be watching closely because it feels like they really want to rely on him this season, so it'll be interesting to watch him this spring. And for me, it feels like Mitch Hanniger is a guy that can really be an absolute game changer for this lineup. When you look at the flashes of brilliance we saw last year, He could sustain anything close to that for a full season. I mean, think about how deep this lineup potentially can get. The only thing that slowed him down was health. Yes. He got hit in the face. He had the the finger injury. And then he was dealing with some things even when he was still on the field that slowed him down. The oblique early in the season, he was on his way to, I think, becoming the American League Rookie of the Year because – he, was, he had the best war in the American League at the end of April when he got hurt. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Mitch Hanniger putting up big numbers this year. If there was a silver lining to last year with all the injuries, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service and the coaching staff found out that a lot of these young players could play here at this level. Mitch went down and they called up Ben Gamble. I want to see Ben Gamble a full season, you know, put together a year like he did in the second half of the uh, season when he came up for a while there. Ben Gamble was leading the American League in hitting. So I want to see the young guys take it to the next level. You mentioned Mitch Hanniger, Ben Gamble. The other thing I'm excited about is Mike Zunino. Mike Zunino not only turned around the numbers when he went down to Tacoma, but visiting with Mike, you know, uh, here on on the Cactus League report, he said, I was able to find out how to fix things. And from... The end of May to the rest of the season last year, Mike Zanino hit 280 with most of his home runs and most of his RBIs. And when a young hitter, and granted, Mariners rushed him five years ago to the big leagues. He had 324 at-bats in the minor leagues. He was able to fix it if something was starting to go sideways. So that's what I'm excited to look forward to. And I also want to see the the impact that Juan Nicasio will have, you know, in the back end of the bullpen to give Edwin Diaz the ball in the ninth inning, 34 saves last year and, what, 37 save opportunities. So uh, a lot to look forward to this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the bullpen about? especially. I mean, there's there's a lot of live arms down there. They have a chance to really put games away with leads. If they can get leads to the sixth inning, I mean, they have a chance to really play lockdown, which is huge. And that's what they're building for. Yeah. You, know, you look at I think there's been so much focus on the rotation and perhaps not enough focus on the bullpen, and the bullpen is going to take innings, I believe, and, and this is by design that we haven't seen in the past. Yeah. I think a good approach is to look at this as an entire staff right now. Can you get all those innings from the entire staff? And you got some nice power arms down there in the bullpen. Say, friends, add the Safeco Field Suites to your list of places to check out in 2018, whether hosting clients and coworkers or family and friends. You and your guests will enjoy Mariners baseball from the comfort of a private suite. This premium seating option includes game tickets, VIP parking, private Skybridge entry, and a catering credit. For more information, visit Mariners.com slash premium. Coming up next, a visit with a young man we were just talking about, Mariners catcher Mike Zanino, as the Cactus League report continues from the Peoria Sports Complex 
after these messages. Welcome back to the Cactus League Report. Great to have you with us here. Gary Hill, Shannon Andrea, Rick Riz. And Rick had a chance to sit down with Mike Zanino. Great conversation about last year. Looking forward to this year as well. Here's Rick and Mike. Visiting with Mariners catcher Mike Zanino. Mike, a Sage veteran now, season number six yep. in the big leagues. Can you believe that uh, you got five years under your belt? We'll talk about an incredible 2017, but here you are, the one of the veterans on the on this ball club. And uh, what are you looking forward to here in 2018? Uh, I'm just looking forward to playing with this group of guys. Um, it's uh, been very crazy the last couple of years seeing the turnaround with Jerry, but, uh, you know, it's nice. I feel like we have a great core of guys here. I think we brought in a couple of great pieces I mean, I think we have a really good team, and, and health plays a big issue to that. But I think we put some good pieces in place here, and uh, it's going to be really fun. It was fun watching you play last year. You got off to that slow start, and you go down to Tacoma, and, man, for 12 games, I don't know what happened down there. It was some magic, you know, <laughs> working with your guy down there and then coming back here working with Edgar and Scott Brocious. But all of a sudden, I see a totally different Mike Zanino. From the all-star break on, you hit 280 in most of your home runs and most of your RBIs. You were absolutely phenomenal for a couple of months there in the second half of the season. What happened down there in Tacoma that turned you into the guy that we saw in the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, through my career, I've had to make swing changes, but uh, there was never the, the right whys and the right questions asked. And this one was really stripping the whole thing down and, and working from the ground up. And... Uh, you know, narrowing my stance and incorporating a leg kick um, just really kept my direction and, and my timing. And, you mean, as the year went on, I became more comfortable with it and, uh, you mean, stuck to my drills and stuck to everything that I did from uh, Tacoma and just became more comfortable with it. And as that came and some of the success came, you know, the confidence grew and you, you sort of realized, you mean, what you can do at the plate. And then when you have that confidence as, as a hitter, it really makes a difference. You say direction was an approach to to driving the ball up the middle and the other way because you had incredible power the other day, other way when you take it that way. Yeah, that was the biggest thing was really focusing on right center. And um, it was just what I was doing mechanically wouldn't allow me to do that. I mean, my thought was always there, but I had to clean the mechanical side up to allow me to do that. You have one of the toughest jobs in baseball, any catcher. You know, we've, we've been blessed with some outstanding catchers, you know, in this organization, Dave Valley and Dan Wilson and now Mike Zunino, at spring training, you have more on your plate than, than anybody. What, what's it like for you to get in here into spring training, work with so many pitchers, a lot of guys you don't know. Of course, VP's here and James Paxson, uh, Mike Leake, who you worked with last year. What's it like for a catcher at spring training? Besides, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, the days do get long. I mean, you, we're, we're some of the first ones to show up here, but we need that extra time here to talk to all the pitchers. Um, a lot of the times the conversations don't come on the baseball field. They come in the clubhouse. Um, or while we're having lunch or anything like that. But, um, you know, days are busy, and we're sort of bouncing around everywhere, and that's sort of uh, part of the job title. But, you know, it's nice to do that, and then it's, you mean, that build-up to the season. We're trying to get our legs under us. We're trying to build up, you mean, for the long haul of 162 and then, then hopefully more. But, um, I mean, we, we just go and communicate with the pitchers best we can and just try to get on the same page with them. Tell me a little bit about some of the guys. It's early, early, early in camp. Game started in a couple of days on, on Friday against the San Diego Padres. But uh, let's talk about Felix Hernandez. Uh, what have you seen out of Felix here in the first few days of camp? He came in looking really good. I mean, obviously, um, he started his throwing program a little bit earlier on, on pace um, and throwing more bullpens. But uh, he's looking good. And I think uh, no one questions uh, if he knows exactly what he needs to do to get back out there. I know the last couple of years have uh, – I mean, bugged him a little bit with the injuries. But um, he's looking good. He's in great shape. And I'm just looking forward to get him into a game out there and really see what he's got. 
James Paxton. I mean, what a year for Paxton last year, especially that run where you caught him in July where he won seven in a row and he had like a 1.38 ERA. It was absolutely phenomenal. What are we going to see out of Paxton this year? I think you're going to see more of that. I mean, he came in, another guy came in in great shape. I know he's, uh, I mean, really put time into to, to knowing his body, knowing what he needs to do to recover. And uh, to me, it just shows. He's, he's a true professional. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish every day he comes to the field. And I think that's, there's no lack of stuff there, but I think his preparation is, has really allowed him to have, you mean, the year he did last year. A lot of young pitchers here in camp, some guys that I'm getting to know here. I just got here, you know, uh, yesterday. But um, who's opened your eyes here in the first few days as far as the newcomers here, and especially the younger pitchers? I, I know Max Posey, very imposing figure at 6'8", 6'9". I'll tell you what, I caught, um, I, t- I caught Marco Gonzalez in his first bullpen, and he looked really good. And obviously he was coming off TJ in a little bit of a, a shoulder scope, but, I mean, he, he looked really good. He, he wasn't throwing the cutter last year. Um, he took a year off that for his elbow, and he started throwing that, and, man, it's a great pitch. And uh, it's one of those where I, I think if he can throw like he did there, I mean, he's going to be a big piece for us in that rotation. Tell me a little bit about uh, overall the ball club, uh, the changes during the course of the offseason. You're going to have D. Gordon out there in center field, Ryan Healy. Hopefully he's going to heal up real soon here. Juan Nicasio down to the bullpen and other guys as well. What do you think about this version of uh, the 2018 Mariners? I mean, I think we're going to be athletic. We're going to be athletic. We're going to be able to cover a lot of ground in the outfield. I mean, obviously, we have a very stout infield. Um, if we can stay healthy on, on the mound, I think we have a really good shot of uh, surprising some people. I mean, there's there's not many people writing us in there to, to make the playoffs or anything like that, but I think we're taking that mentality and, uh, I mean, playing that underdog card. Visiting with Mariners catcher Mike Zunino. Mike, we're going to let you go in a second, but rule changes this year. Six visits to the mound for nine innings. And catchers like to go out there and talk to your guy out there trying to help him through a rough patch. Uh, the infielders come in, the manager, of course, the pitching coach. Uh, how different is that going to be, especially for you when you want to go out there, but maybe the umpire is going to say, oh, you're, you're down to four or five. What are you going to do? Uh, well, this is conversations that we actually have. I mean, this is stuff that we really need to iron out um, before the season starts. Uh, I mean, I, I've talked to Skip. I've talked to you, I mean. Uh, start and just try to figure out, hey, do I need to look at you and, yeah. you know, sort of get the nod of this is a good time to go out there. But um, it's one of those things where um, our big thing is, I mean, six is quite a few amount of visits. I mean, that's that's a lot. I mean, if we have to go out that many times, yeah. I mean, because the pitching change doesn't count as that. So, you know, it's one of those where, I mean, if we can use them wisely, I think we'll be all right. But um, well, there's definitely going to be a little strategy behind it. Well, young man, I think you're going to be poised for an outstanding season. Uh, Thank you so much for the visit, and uh, have a great spring, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Well, there it was. Great conversation. It's always fun to hear from Mike Zanino, but it's amazing. And we're going to talk about that more with our next guest coming up, about Mike Zanino and the kind of year he had. But it's amazing to look at the, the home runs, the extra base hits, the walks, which I think sometimes is overlooked, some of just the quality of plate appearances we saw from Mike Zanino during the course of the season. And it was just so fun to watch that year develop and watch him develop. And I'm really excited about him this year. Well, tell me what, you always were wondering, you know, what is he going to be when he gets back from Tacoma? You know, we saw him struggle in the early part of the year, and that was his story. I mean, you know, hitting under 200 for a couple of years and just over 200 one season, was he going to be able to fix it? Man, did he ever, Shannon. He went down there, uh, redid his, his his stance, his swing, 
and he figured out how to fix things, and uh, and he really took off uh, from that point on for the rest of the season was impressive. And I think was what was important was he didn't just figure out the swing, but he figured out his process, mm-hmm. and it's something that he can go back to when he struggles. And he had that month of Janino, <laughs> which is on the for never, there's yeah. no more June. It will always oh. be Janino. And uh, then had a month, a down month after that. And I think it was just as important to see him have that struggle and pull out of that struggle, and he did. He had a very good August and September. And I think probably that, more than anything, probably gave him more confidence, just to know, you know, it wasn't here we go again, and I'm going to have to find something new. It was I was struggling, I'm going to apply what I've learned in Tacoma and see what happens, and lo and behold, it got him back on a good path. I was so impressed with his season last year for all the reasons you just pointed out, but for the other reasons we've talked about is the pitching staff. I mean, he dealt (laughs) with so many different guys through the course of the season. It just felt like he was juggling so much last year. He's so good. He's one of the best catchers in the big leagues last year. And that's why it's so tough where you see a lot of catchers where they don't quite have the offensive numbers as uh, other position players, obviously, because there's more on their plate. You know, they got – they got to take care of that starting pitcher to see if he can get him deep into a ball game and out of trouble, and then each and every reliever that comes into a ball game. But to see a guy like Mike Zinino come in and and go down to Tacoma, get that work in, and get it done, it's hard. It is really difficult to fix things at the big league level. That's what this young man was trying to do year after year, and uh, you know he was able to do that last year. He was, and I think his teammates just have the utmost respect for yeah. him for for getting through that, for never putting his head down, never letting his struggles impact the rest of the team. And Rick, it was funny, uh, you know, we've had Mike Zanino here for how many years now? This is going to this be his fifth, fifth year. year. <laughs> and uh, you know, at some point he moves past that young catcher, mm-hmm. Mark. He's always had the leadership. At times it felt like he was acting it a little bit. I'm sure he's been the leader all along, but you really have seen him take it in the last year in particular. And somebody said, how would you compare him to a young Dan Wilson in yeah. that regard and how he has everybody's, all of his pitchers back, and they know that, and how he communicates with them and takes on everything that he takes on in the leadership. And I'd never thought of it that way, but, boy, you see a lot of that. I remember seeing Mike five years ago when he was at Safeco Field with Everett when he came up with that ball club, and he was standing on the sides there and the uh, you know, he was a high draft pick, uh, third pick overall that year, and eyes wide open. And now, you know, he's, he's blossoming into this. It, it took a long time. Yeah. It took a lot of work because he got to the big leagues, you know, very, very early. But uh, to see the young man put in the work and then to see the fruits of that labor for anybody yeah. at this level, but especially for Mike Zanino, was uh, outstanding. And it, it takes, in general, longer for catchers for the most part, to develop, especially offensively. With all the demands on catchers, I don't think it's a big surprise that it can take longer. I mean, the yeah. the, the buster posies of the world are few and far between. Right. Catchers that come up and just sock the baseball around all over the place, it's a very short list of guys. It, it takes a while. And he exceeded expectations last year. Oh, I think yeah. everybody just thought, oh, if he could just hit 225, yeah. 230, hit his 25 bombs. He did better than that. He did better than that without the full season, and that was just kind of his first year of really finding that. So, very, it'll be interesting to see kind of what his ceiling is. Yeah. We've seen so much yeah. good. That's a great question. You know, when, when Dan Wilson was around, Dan was so good behind the plate defensively that he gave Kazero Sasaki the confidence to throw that splitter anytime, anytime in the count with a runner at third base. He gave Norm Charlton 
the confidence to throw that splitter anytime with a runner on at third base, anytime in the count. Mike Zunino, you know, has the confidence of his pitchers knowing that, you know, you gotta you gotta stay down in the strike zone to get ground ball outs to get people out. And he gives them the confidence to throw that pitch in that location with a runner on at third base. And uh, you know, to have that type of catcher behind home plate where you're not afraid to throw any pitch anytime is uh, is really outstanding and fun to watch. No doubt. I mean, he calls a great game. I mean, he's he can block, he can frame. I mean, he's got he's got all the tools that you want in a major league catcher. Great with a staff. I mean, all the intangible stuff is off the charts. That's going to be interesting to find out this spring over the next uh, four or five weeks who's going to back him up. You That's know, one of the saw, battles we'll, we do, we'll be watching. We saw Mike Marchman come up yeah. last year and get his first major league hit. Then on the last day of the regular season, get his first uh, major league home run down in uh, was it down in Anaheim. And you'll see David Freitas. David Freitas. Also yeah. down there. He's fun to watch. If you haven't seen him already, he is a very large and strong human being who takes a mighty hack <laughs> at the ball. A lot of fun to watch in batting practice. So a lot of competition there. So it was great uh, to visit with uh, Mike Zanino. And coming up here in the second hour of the Cactus League Report, we're going to visit with uh, reporter Anthony Kastrovitz from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Talking a lot of baseball with Anthony as the Cactus League Report continues from the Peoria Sports Complex right after this timeout. And again, welcome back to the Cactus League Report, the second hour from the Peoria Sports Complex. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill as well. And uh, earlier Gary had a chance to visit with uh, MajorLeagueBaseball.com reporter Anthony Kastrovitz, and they start off an interesting conversation to talk about Anthony's all-underrated team, and he has a couple of Mariners on that ball club. Here's Anthony along with Gary. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. We get to sit down with MLB columnist Anthony Kastrovitz. You can find him on Twitter, at Kastrovitz, and, of course, also contributing to MLB Network, and you can find him online, MLB.com. Anthony, thanks for the visit. Fun times with the spring here. Very fun times. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent the last few days in, in Florida um, before I make my Arizona run, and uh, idyllic weather and, you know, the optimism <laughs> in the air, it's always a good time of year. Obviously a weird year um, with, with so many unsigned free agents, but, you know, finally I've seen some movement in that market. So that adds kind of a fun wrinkle to spring training as well, too, because you're standing in some of these clubhouses and, and wondering, okay, who's going to fill that empty locker tomorrow because uh, you know, a deal could come down at any moment. It's certainly um, a, a changed way of doing business to where teams are, are willing to wait out and, and to wait for value. And, you know, I'd say in many cases they got it. You look at even the top end of the spectrum with these deals that went down recently, uh, you know, the last few days with Eric Hosmer and with J.D. Martinez, obviously those price tags, while high, uh, and Hosmer got an eight-year contract. It's certainly not the price tag they went into the winter looking for. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, conversation to be had there between the union, between the league, and, and future negotiations. But um, CBA being what it is, is has kind of driven it to this point. And, and, and teams being really analytically driven, uh, they're much more cold-blooded, as it were, uh, and, and just seeking value wherever they can find it. Well, you've been producing a lot of content as of late, and one caught my eye especially, the all-underrated MLB team. So before we talk about some of the players involved, talk about how you went about it. What was your – how did you determine underrated? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the hard part, right, because it's so subjective, right. and I try to make it as objective as possible 
Um, and it, it actually, I mean, becomes a little bit harder. Every, it gets a little trickier every year, especially if you don't want to have the same guys on it every year. Uh, but what I look for is, first of all, guys who have been around for at least a couple of years. So, you know, we're not talking about rookies, basically. Uh, so a couple of years of service time, uh, at least. And, you know, haven't been an all-star yet is, is a criteria, or at least haven't been an all-star recently. Um, and no, no guys with, you know, $100 million contracts or north of that. Uh, I find that to be a pretty decent barometer to where you get a pretty good list at the end of the day uh, of guys who maybe don't get talked about as much as they should. Um, and you try not to lean too much to guys of small samples or guys just coming off, you know, a breakout year, although sometimes it just becomes too obvious not to do that. But um, that's my general gauge. And in your catcher spot, you had a Mariner, Mike Zanino, who is probably the story of the year yeah. for the Mariners with what he did last year. Yeah, I'm sure in Seattle it doesn't get overlooked. I think nationally it <laughs> probably does. Um, and, you know, we started to see that late in the uh, 2016 season. And, of course, it didn't carry over uh, in 2017. And he had that brief demotion, um, you know, just to kind of work things out. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a valuable asset, you know, a productive catcher. We, we know what a valuable asset that can be. We know that the Mariners, um, you know, they, they had that core of young players they thought they were building around, and by and large, many of them, you know, did not pan out as planned. And it was easy to kind of put Zanino in that group for a while there. But to his credit, he stuck with it, and, you know, he, he's emerging as, as a productive, valuable player that, that uh, he was envisioned to be. And I can't imagine there'd be that much competition in that spot. It's just the offensive production from catcher. It's just not, not a long list in yeah. MLB right now. Yeah, that's that's one of the trickier ones for sure. Um, but yeah, and thankfully Zanino carried us this year, so that's good. <laughs> and he might have to carry us next year as well. We'll see. <laughs> and you also had another Mariner on the list, which I thought was pretty interesting. Gene Segura at shortstop. Yeah, so that's the one guy I, I kind of broke my rule for. Uh, the rule being the All Star rule because he was an All Star um, five years ago, I think it was. Um, you know, with the Brewers, but. Um, I just, you know, a year ago I had Didi Gregorius on the list, and he still qualified, but I want to have some variety there. And I thought, I just think Segura is very well deserving because, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, when he when they made that trade uh, to Seattle, I, I think everybody kind of wondered, you know, how would that affect his offense? He was coming off kind of an aberration for him offensively in Arizona. So, okay, was that a one-year thing? Is he able to carry that over now, uh, moving to Safeco Field, which we all know is, is not the offensive environment that Chase Field is. Um, so that was a, a big adjustment for him. But, you know, to his credit, I, I still thought his offense his offense here was pretty good. He definitely took a dip in some numbers, but overall still very productive for that position especially. So, um, And then the other reason is just, we have so many great young shortstops in the game. I and mean, Francisco Lindor, yeah. um, you know, Carlos Correa, uh, you know, Corey Seager. So it, it's so easy to overlook a guy like Segura. Um, it's probably hard now for him to, to crack the all-star roster uh, in the American League with, with Correa and Lindor being a, a piece of that picture and Bogarts for that matter. Um, so at least he makes my list, if nothing else. And you also had a local product on there from Tampa Bay, Steven Souza Jr., who – not only uh, fans appreciate because he's local, but <laughs> he worked their way into their hearts <laughs> with the Edgar Martinez comments over <laughs> over the off season as well. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I love that because um, I'm, I'm very much pro Edgar for the Hall of Fame. So yeah, for those who don't know, he called out uh, Ray's great Ray's beat writer Mark Topkin for the Tampa Bay Times and and called him out on Twitter for not voting for Edgar. Um, so that that was all in good fun. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that Souza is – he's one of those guys now that, that might be reading the small, small samples a little bit, but he, he did have, um, you know, a nice surge last season. Um, I just think he's a player who, you know, is, there's, there's still a lot in there, still a lot of untapped potential. Uh, very athletic guy, a guy who can help you, you know, very good two-way player, um, can help you in every facet of the game. And I think we started to see that as last year progressed and, you know, hope to see that more going forward. Speaking of Edgar, history would suggest next year should be his year. Should Mariner fans be very yeah. confident that he will be in the Hall of Fame next year? Yeah, you never know how these things are going to go, but certainly if history is any indication and, and the guys who get into that statistical terrain where he's gotten uh, percentage-wise um, and it being his last year on the ballot, you know, that all those things kind of coalesce and there's been – kind of like Tim Raines, where there's been this internet movement in favor of Edgar Martinez, and in both cases, very deservingly so. Um, so I, I, I think all those things are, are, are kind of uh, coming together to make it a likelihood. I, I, you never say anything for certain uh, in these matters, but boy, if he's not a Hall of Famer, I, I'm stunned, because anybody who wants to poo-poo the position, it's been around for north of 40 years. <laughs> DH is a position. There are relievers in the Hall of Fame. There are DHs in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, we, you know, Frank Thomas is in the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz will be in the Hall of Fame. Edgar Martinez uh, gets punished because of the position and because he kind of, you know, he blossomed late. Um, but I just think that the numbers are so overwhelming. And, and really, the best testament to Edgar Martinez's Hall of Fame case is what pitchers of his era say about him. And I'm talking about Hall of Fame pitchers. You know, Mariano Rivera, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson. These guys all say this is the 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 hitter they feared the most uh, in his era. So that's that, that speaks to his worthiness. Visiting with Anthony Castro-Vents from MLB.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Castro-Vents. Anthony, I know you've followed Cleveland very closely through the years. I think this is a very interesting year for Cleveland. They've been so close the last couple of years. They've had a powerhouse team. You look at some of the free agents on the horizon. How big is this year for Cleveland if they want to get over the top? I think it's absolutely huge. Um, we know that in the smaller markets, you know, your window can, can change dramatically uh, in a hurry. And this is a team that has great offensive talent, but has really been built around its pitching staff. And, you know, that health element can change in a hurry. So they've had great health uh, the last couple of years and, and last year especially. Um, and, you know, it hasn't led to that World Series. And then the, the big thing is pending free agency in the bullpen of Andrew Miller and, and Cody Allen. I mean, those guys were the reason they got through October the way they did in 2016. So uh, with, with those guys nearing free agency, seeing the cost of – we were just talking about the free agent market, how much it's changed. Well, one thing that's changed is now the, reliever, the relievers came off the board right away at a high price tag. So that's one area teams are willing to spend, and I'm sure they'll be willing to spend it on Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, assuming they're healthy uh, next winter. So, so yeah, this is a, a moment they have to capitalize on. This is their core. This is their group. Um, very strong in the bullpen still, and uh, a lot of urgency to this to this 2018 season. Mariners are excited about what their bullpen offers. Heading into camp, when you look at the Mariners from the outside, what's the biggest question mark in your mind about this team? Uh, just, I mean, it's hard not to say the health of the starting staff, right, after what mm -hmm. we saw last year. Um, and sometimes the greatest predictor of future injury is past injury, um, or maybe they just have better luck this year, but one way or another, they just they need five healthy guys in that rotation, you know. And chief among those is Felix Hernandez, of course. We know he's not going to be the King Felix he was, you know, in the Cy Young days. But I, I still think, you know, he's a guy who, who can 
find this stage of his career, you know, make it work for him. Not, I mean, not terribly, unlike CC Sabathia, mm. um, where he could still provide a lot of value with diminished stuff. Uh, and the diminished stuff is obviously a product of all the innings he's pitched in the big leagues. But just having him on the mound every fifth day would be huge because, you know, 16 starts last year and. Um, I, I think Jerry Depot has even said, you know, it, we're a different team if it's 25 starts from Felix as opposed to 16. So he's probably the, the biggest question mark within the question mark that is the rotation. Are there a couple teams you're looking at that may surprise this year? Yeah, there's there's a bunch just because um, we're in this environment where it's pretty top-heavy in terms of you can pick out the handful, you know, six or seven teams that are like the elite teams in baseball right now. And then you got this hodgepodge of teams that, I mean, you got some rebuilders, you got some transition type situations. And it's just, it's always hard to know, especially with the teams that are going with so many young players. And that can go either way, you know, kind of a high ceiling or a high floor. I look at a team like the Atlanta Braves or the Philadelphia Phillies, both in the NL East, where there's so much young talent. It's just a matter of when does it mature? Does it mature at the same time? Um, I mean, you could tell me those teams win 60-some games. You could tell me they win 80-some games. I believe you either way just because, you know, that, that wide differentiation that you sometimes get with a young player, and they have so many of them all at once. So, um, so those are just some examples. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it seems easy to, to pick the division winners right now in baseball. Although that can always, you know, the minute you say that, you get proven wrong. But, um, you know, you feel pretty confident in the ability of, you know, pretty much across the board for these teams to repeat uh, as division winners. But, um, you know, a, a year ago, it, it was hard to know if, if the Astros would live up to the hype, and, and they did. Um, you know, it was hard to know. Uh, it was certainly impossible to know the wild card picture would turn out the way it does. So there's always intrigue every year. And, again, I just think the amount of young talent in today's game and the way teams have accelerated promotions uh, of that young talent, and that, that plays into what we've seen uh, this winter in free agency. Um, it just makes things less predictable because youth is unpredictable, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for your time. I always enjoy your work. Really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll catch up in Arizona. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate that, and we'll see you soon. And a visit with Anthony Kastrovitz, one of the great writers following Major League Baseball and a reporter for MajorLeagueBaseball.com, his visit with uh, Gary Hill. I tell you what, I loved his all-underrated team to have Gene Segura on there along with Mike Zunino. Coming up next, more on the Cactus League Report from Peoria, Arizona, where spring training is underway. We'll be back right after this timeout. Well, baseball is back at Safeco Field beginning Thursday, March the 29th, with one of the biggest events of the year, opening night. Festivities include red carpet introductions, fireworks, and more. Great seats opening night are still available at Mariners.com. And again, the Cactus League Report continues, and we're going to talk about our old friend Ron Fairley, who joined us in the broadcast booth for 14 years working alongside Dave Niehaus, all those wonderful seasons. And uh, Red was on uh, the Hot Stove League show last week talking about his new book. It's called Fairly at Bat. And, folks, if you want a great read, a lot of fun, great baseball stories, you want to laugh and find about uh, find out a lot about his 50 years in Major League Baseball, you got to get this book. It's called Fairly at Bat by Ron Fairley, along with writer Steve Springer. You're going to love it. Here's part of that conversation with Ron Fairley that we aired last week. Ron, we, we are so eager to talk to you about so many different things, but since we just heard that, I I have to ask, what, what goes through your mind when you hear that highlight once again? Well, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, good golly. I mean, and there wasn't any doubt about the ball leaving the yard. I mean, when Junior hit it, I mean, it could have been 400 feet away and it would have cleared it easily. But uh, 
Yeah, that was that was pretty. I mean, hitting home runs in eight consecutive games, and uh, the thing I do remember that then Junior came up again. I made Dave Niehaus have the call because I think if Junior would have hit it in nine consecutive games, I think it should have been uh, Dave Niehaus's call for it. So, are you saying that you actually like it was your scheduled inning and during the commercial? Yes, you said. Yeah, when Junior when Junior came up the following game to hit home runs and to set the record. I made Dave Niehaus uh, call his at bat. He wasn't going to do it, but I said, well, there's going to be a lot of dead air. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Dave a moment ago. What was it like broadcasting with Dave Niehaus through the years? Well, Dave, it, well, first of all, you have to understand, Dave loved the Mariners. I mean, he was he was 100% behind those guys. And the thing that was funny was is that the things that Dave Dave would say when he was off the air. That I got a big, I got a great big kick out of. But he was such a fan that he had to bring somebody in from the bullpen, and we'll break for commercial time up, and we'll be right back. And then Dave would say, "You God, oh my, why are they bringing that guy? <laughs> I hadn't got anybody out." You know, and then come back on the air, and then holy cow, here comes so and so, what a great job! You know, he'd, he'd go, he'd go just the completely other way around. But, but he would, he would, that would be one of the things. That and the other thing is. Dave did not have a very good sense of direction. And in spring training, for an example, when we came out of Peoria there at the complex, if you go to the right when you leave our booth, you walk back into the, the, into the press box. When the game was over, you go to the left to get on the elevators and go down, get in the parking lot, take off, and go wherever you're going to go for dinner. I always waited for Dave to, to leave the, the, the booth first. Because about four or five times every spring, Dave would come out of the out of the booth and he would go to the right, back into the press box, and I just let him go. <laughs> and then I turn around and say, "Hey, Dave, this way." And then he always told me what I could go do to myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I got I got a kick out of that, and I love it. And I, I, Dave and I had a lot of fun together. We really did. Big Red Dan Wilson here, and and uh, I know. Hi, oh, how are you? I'm fine. How have you been? Doing very well, thank you. And I know over the course of, yes. of, of my career, I was lucky uh, to, to hear probably a lot of the stories that are in the book kind of firsthand, and I know that stories in baseball get passed down, and, and we love that. But, you know, looking back, are your, are some of your better stories as a player or are they as a broadcaster? Where, where does it stack up uh, in, in terms of the, your stories that, that uh, you come across in the book? Well, I, uh, there, I think there's a little bit of a mix, and I think more of them – you can attest to as a player. Yeah. I mean, I, I miss the clubhouse. Yeah. The, the 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 banter that goes on in in the in the clubhouse, and you know as well as I do what what guys do uh, on and off the field that you you really get a a, a good chuckle at. Uh, and and if you played on, it doesn't matter what major league team you played on. Uh, every one of them have stories. In fact, from the very beginning of of, of baseball. There have been more characters that involved in baseball, I think, than any other sport. They've been around longer, and uh, I just think that there are more characters, and the more people find out about them, the more you're going to have some fun. In fact, when the Cubs became a professional team, they did that back in 1876. That was the same time that Custer was at the Little Bighorn, <laughs> kind of give you a baseball reference uh, as to when the Cubs got And we've had characters ever since then. And they're relentless in that clubhouse. Oh, well, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, things that, that went on in, in the clubhouse and things were some of the stuff was really good. And then they, sometimes it even transferred out onto the field. And a, an example is that Koufax was pitching, you know, whenever he pitched, we had a pitcher in our, on our ball club by the name of, of Pete Rickard. And Pete was a left-handed pitcher and had pitched the major leagues for about uh, oh, 10 or 11 years, mostly with Baltimore. But when he was with the Dodgers, he was the long man in the bullpen. And the only time Pete would go out and have a few drinks would be the night before Koufax pitched. <laughs> Sandy was going to, you know, get knocked out in the second or third inning. Well, Pete went out this one uh, one afternoon, and lo and behold, Sandy got in trouble in the first inning, and they got Pete up in the bullpen. And Sandy got out of the inning. Uh, in the second inning, uh, Sandy went back out to the mound, and he got in trouble again, and Alston got him up for the second time and went out to the mound. That day, I happened to be playing first base, and so when Alston got to the mound, there were three of us that are standing there. He had Alston, Koufax, and myself, and it was a hot day, temperature above 95 degrees, and Alston looked at Sandy, and he says, how do you feel? And Sandy says, better than the guy you have warming up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when Alston just turned around and walked back on, on into the dugout. We eventually got hot. We scored some runs, and Sandy was the winning pitcher. Ron Fairley, but that never appeared. That never appeared in the box score or anything you read <laughs> about the accounts of the game. That's fantastic. Ron Fairley is our guest here on the hot stove. And uh, Ron, can you uh, describe for us, for those who have not had a chance to uh, pick up your book uh, quite yet, uh, Fairly at Bat? Can you tell us and describe a little bit about this picture we see of? You and Dave in a camera well, both wearing headsets with the one differentiator that Dave was wearing a batting helmet with his headset? <laughs> well, <laughs> Dave, Dave says, I can't do the game from down there without a helmet. And I said, why not? He says, if the ball comes over there, how am I going to get out of the way? And I just said, why don't you duck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> But he, I, I, had, I had to laugh at him. We did not have a screen in front of us. So, I mean, the fact that he wore a helmet, that, it, just, it just looked kind of funny as far as I was concerned. That's terrific. The yeah. other thing that Dave did, a, a couple of the post-game shows, uh, they decided that they wanted us to be on camera. And so we had to turn and, and, and face the camera where the, the field was in the background. And Dave, in the process of putting on his jacket and, and, and putting his headset on and picking up the hand mic, he picked my microphone up. <laughs> and so we did the post-game show, and I didn't say one word. Because <laughs> Dave had my microphone. And there he is, our good buddy Ron Fairley. And you got to get that book, Fairley at Bat. It's, I tell you what, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's an easy read. You're going to get through it in a hurry. Some great stories. 20 years as a player, 20 years as a player. He was an all-star at the age of 40 in 1977 with the expansion Toronto Blue Jays. He came up as a kid with the Dodgers in the late 1950s. What a career, 50 years in baseball, 30 years in the broadcast booth. Our thanks to uh, Ron Fairley. That wraps up uh, our Cactus League report. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill as we get ready for our first broadcast of the spring on Friday afternoon with the Mariners take on the San Diego Padres 
right from this ballpark where we're broadcasting this evening, the Peoria Sports Complex. Hope you join us for all the play-by-play. And again, this reminder, baseball is back at Safeco Field beginning Thursday, March 29th, with one of the biggest events of the year, opening night. Festivities include red carpet introductions, fireworks, and more. Great seats to opening night are still available at Mariners.com. What a night here in Peoria on the uh, Cactus League Report. The first hour, we visited with Mariner manager Scott Service. Also with new Mariners center fielder, D. Gordon. He makes that uh, transformation from second base to center field. In the second hour, we visited with, with uh, Mike Zanino and also Anthony Castrovince from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. That wraps it up. From Peoria, Arizona, so long, everybody, as we get ready for our first game of the spring on Friday afternoon. Good night, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.